Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to the Film Revere Podcast, episode number 22. This week brought to you by Audible. I'm your host, Zach Hamilton. My guest for this episode is actress Madeline Zima. Madeline's been acting for over 25 years. Her breakout role was as Grace Sheffield in The Nanny. Madeline has also starred in Heroes, Californication, Betas, and Twin Peaks. She will be on the show discussing her career over the years, as well as her upcoming film, Warm Human Magic, in which she wrote and directed. So please stay tuned as we will now be taking a quick commercial break. All right, guys and gals, are you like me and want something more than music to listen to during your morning commute? Maybe you want to start reading more, but don't have the time to sit down and open a book. Well, for people on the go, there's Audible. Audible offers over 180,000 audiobooks to listen to on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, Audible is giving Film Revere podcast listeners a slam and deal. Go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast for a free 30-day trial, and more importantly, get a free audiobook. Once again, go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Thanks again to Audible for their support, and thank you listeners. Now, back to the show. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today, Madeline. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. So on the show today, we're going to be talking about your early career, your work on the hit series Californication, and your upcoming film Painkillers. And lastly, your soon-to-be-released short film Warm Human Magic, in which you wrote and directed. Um, though you started back in 1992 and had roles in Law & Order, Jag, and Touched by an Angel, it wasn't until your role in The Nanny as Grace Sheffield that you would capture the world's attention, if you will. After being cast, you went on to star in 140. 45 episodes of this show what was it like being such an integral part of the cast at such a young age being a part of uh every set i've been on as when i was young like my first my first film was actually the hand that rocks the cradle um and that was uh, a wonderful experience and i i really learned a lot just watching people and observing people when you're a kid you absorb kind of everything around you and you see, you see everything. So, um, I, I feel like I, I had an unusual upbringing, but a very, um, a really valuable, um, education on, um, in, in storytelling and also, uh, how to be a, a successful human being. Yeah, it's always interesting because I do feel like, and I've also uh, interviewed some other people that, you know, I'd started very young in the industry. And it's always interesting because I feel like those people, when it's done correctly, right, and everything goes well and they become a big success, or even some, uh, you see it in other cases where they were, you know, a big child actor and then they didn't continue in the film industry, but they, you know, were a success elsewhere, like in business or what have you. I feel like, there's so much responsibility thrust at you at such a young age that it really does kind of, in a way, make you grow up. Do you feel like that kind of affected your childhood a little bit? I mean, I, I feel like, I feel grateful for the, the childhood that I have. It's as unusual, but um, I like who I've become. And I feel like you're right about the responsibility thing that gets a lot of responsibility, but I feel like 
you should learn responsibility as early as possible. I mean, yeah. there are people I've met who are 40 and 50 years old who have no idea about responsibility <laughs> and have never figured it out. So although I might have had a little bit more than other children, I also wasn't a normal child. Like I didn't like I was walking and talking super early and I wasn't um, I never fit in with kids my own age. Uh, so I was never really destined to be uh, normal. I, I don't feel like I'm normal uh, for better or worse. I'm weird. Yeah. And I embrace that as um, as uh, a wonderful thing. Definitely. Well, I, you know, I am curious, kind of circling back to the nanny, were there ever any like, I don't know, like just interesting fan moments where you're getting recognized again, being in as many episodes as you were in? I mean, everyone recognized you, I'm sure. Were there any like odd altercations or anything like that that happened when you were younger? No, um, I mean, uh, I was going to regular school during that time, which really? was complete, a complete failure on my parents' part. I wish that they had <laughs> put me in some kind of private school because all I remember from that time period is um, whenever that one week out of the month that we had hiatus on the show, I had to go back to whatever a normal childhood looked like, which was mm. basically... Um, I would call it very unpleasant, but hellish is probably a better word um, because the the kids were super mean and I was being bullied um, and I, I was not embraced by my peers um, as a child. I was, I was getting bullied all the time and I didn't fit in and, and um, the kids were not kind to me. So I, uh, I, I don't, uh, there was never a sense of of feeling like I was on a show and that it was a good thing. Wow. It was more like these people are making up stories about me and and they're not nice and I have no friends. So I just wanted to fit in and be normal and yeah. not be such a standout situation because it was um, isolating. Um, but when I was on the show and I was around, you know, adults who were kind and very nurturing, like – Charlie uh, Shaughnessy, who played my dad on the show, um, yeah. I was really inspired by them. I was inspired by all of the working actors I met on the show who mm. were kind and generous and didn't have a big ego, and they all knew each other from theater stuff, and they were um, what I wanted to be when I grew up. I, I really, I was so um, impressed with them as as people. They were funny and uh, entertaining and present. And uh, I, I just, I was just, um, it definitely made an impression on me. And I, I hoped to grow up and be like that. Yeah, it's interesting, because again, you know, I think it's very easy to kind of forget how vicious children can be. Uh, you know, you think like, oh, I'm on the show. And, you know, maybe that'll make me popular. But at the flip side of that, it could also kind of have that negative effect. And again, that's incredibly unfortunate. I, when you mentioned you were in public school, I was like, this could go either one of two ways here. Uh, yeah. It's unfortunate with the other way. But, you know, I think it's great that you had the camaraderie and like kind of like the that family vibe or the people to look up to and talk to on set, at least, because it kind of definitely helped alleviate the stress that was going on outside of yeah. uh, production. Absolutely. And I, I just, um, actually like 20 some odd years later, I got to do this, um, very short lived show for Amazon called betas back in 2014. Yeah. And, um, we filmed in the same stage as the nanny and it was oh so gosh. weird. I got to go back and I was 
all of a sudden an adult and I'm in the same, like going through the same dressing room that I was in my whole childhood. And just like wow. everything looks smaller. And uh, like, I was like, oh, this is like kind of a really small stage. This like is a, <laughs> uh, I, I w- it was so mind blowing. I walked through that, that whole area, went to like the old bathrooms and I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And you know what? It was kind of a dream come true because years later I got to be like that working actress in the same place, you know, 20 years later and feeling like, oh my gosh, this is so bizarre, but it's also kind of uh, a dream come true in a way. Like I, I love all the people I'm working with. It was, it was a great experience to be back so many years later and, uh, and still be working and, you know, not be a drug addict or um, however some other child actors have gone. Um, So, but I understand both sides of it because it also just being a human being is hard, let alone any extra weird traumas that you experience in your childhood. So definitely, you know, and kind of moving forward and touching on something prior to betas, which would be another hit series that you were involved in. But at this time at a, you know, a older age, which is the show Heroes. So you were cast as the role of Gretchen Berg, uh, I believe, on the fourth season of Heroes. Uh-huh. Uh, what was it like being involved in yet another hit television series, especially at this point, now that you're older? Was the reception a little bit different for you? Heroes was way different. I mean, I, I was... Uh... I was working with Hayden Panettiere, who's like, you know, a superstar at that time. And um, I remember we would hang out as well after after work. And she was so warm and kind with me because she's also been acting forever and ever. And we both had yeah. that kind of uh, ran away to the circus at the same age kind of um, yeah. camaraderie. Uh, and... Yeah, that at that time I was actually I remember getting photographed by a paparazzi, which was weird, and um, uh, meeting Katy Perry at one of Hayden's house parties, and uh, oh just gosh. being being in a different like kind of a different uh, yeah, it, it felt more like oh I'm on a show that people really pay attention to, even though it was like the last year of it, so it started to. I think uh, the viewership started to go down, but I I had the, a blast on that show. Everybody was so fun and um, so, so generous. So it was really exciting. Yeah. What would you say you enjoyed most about working on Heroes? I, I would say just like getting to work with Hayden. We, we had a really fun time together. We really respected each other's work and trusted each other. And um, yeah, I think that, that was the, that was the most fun of it. And I loved the show. I mean, I, I, when I got the job, I, I watched, I watched the first, uh, the first three seasons and I was just jazzed mm-hmm. to be a part of it. I got to go to Comic-Con with the show and I felt so honored that, that I got to be a part of such like a, a real legacy that has, I mean, I still get recognized from Heroes, which is so funny because I was really a small part of the show, um, but it has such, a, a, such a, an intense fan following because it was incredible. That first season was one of the better, I mean, one of the best network tv uh series i've ever seen so oh yeah i mean even i remember getting swept up into the whole heroes you know fa- it was insane like everyone was yeah. talking about it it didn't matter what age you were everyone was watching that show it was it was incredibly well done 
Yeah. What was it like? You mentioned Comic-Con. I'm actually curious now. What was what was that whole experience like? Had you been before? Or was this your first time going? No, that was my first time. It was insane. It was like, especially oh my going gosh. there with, with heroes. It's like, obviously not the same level as if you were going there with um, Star Trek or like, or a Star Wars movie or whatever. But it was almost that popular. I mean, we were sitting in front of a crowd of, it felt like, I don't know, like 500 people in the audience, like roaring whenever they would talk about certain people on the show or they, or they would say Sylar and like, you know, uh, Zachary Quinto would get this like huge round of applause. It was, oh, yeah. it was wild. Oh my gosh. So I'd love to also talk about your role as Mia in the Showtime series, Californication. First up, how did you hear about this particular role and what drew you to the part? <laughs> I love I love these kind of questions, Zach, because in reality, when you're an actor, you have zero control. I literally <laughs> was like, oh, I read the pilot, and I was like, this is a really well-written pilot. It was uh, sort of a smaller role in the pilot. I didn't even, wasn't even sure it was going to be a part of the series. Like, it was going to be a series regular, but I wasn't sure where it was going. Um, and I was just, just went in on the audition is that I got a call to show up somewhere and to know some dialogue and I did it. And that's, it, it's sort of, um, it's, there's not as much control when you're an actor. So, uh, mm. I was just so happy, um, that they cast me and I, I got to be a part of another TV show again. Um, and that, that the writing was really great. I thought that um, Tom Capenos did an awesome job um, creating a world where somebody is like an anti-hero is also very likable. And um, mm -hmm. um, at least in the beginning, I, uh, I, I know that his, his, him, him trying to get back in the good graces of, of the one and the love of his life is something I think a lot of people can relate to. And that, that being the, that was, that was something that really, spoke to me as well. So I, I really, I was just happy to be a part of the show. I, I had no, I had no, uh, uh, no grand schemes on it. I just went in and auditioned and they liked me and uh, it worked out, but it wasn't, um, it, there was no control as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting that the way that you mentioned how this whole thing came about, you weren't sure how big of a role the character was even going to have. And yet the character, you know, Mia ended up having a very huge impact on the overall story of the show. So, and the main character uh, played by David Duchovny. So it's so, so interesting how like in an audition, you really sometimes just never know. Yeah, no, you never really know. And I was just, uh, I didn't know that that, I knew that it was going, that she was going to come in and kind of stir things up, but I had no, no understanding of, um, the level to which she would kind of think as as uh, her choices would affect the main storyline. So now, any fan of the show can immediately recall your character's rather interesting personality. Uh, that said, what was one of the most challenging aspects of playing that role? I mean, all of it was really hard for me. I I kept thinking basically the whole time I was on the show that I was going to get fired because I was like, I don't I don't know that I relate to this character. It's hard to justify her actions. I know that she's mm. like hurting and that she's lonely and sad. And this is the way she's going about getting attention and affection. But I was really judging the character, which I know you're not supposed to do as an actor. But I, I was also in my early 20s. I didn't know 
anything. You know, I mean, I, I really, I was not um, the person I am today. So it's so it's weird to like look back on it and be like, oh, I did a pretty good job. I was so insecure. I didn't feel like I was doing a good job, and I didn't really have a sense that I was that it was like. I was just worried all the time that I was just not going to be asked back. <laughs> I think there's also this anxiety as an actor, like even when you get the job, then you're like, will it get picked up? And then if it gets picked yeah. up, will they keep me on the show? There's just never this secure feeling um, artistically. So I know that I struggled with that on the show and um, I was happy, so happy to be there, but I, I was, I, it was, it was a challenge to do that role and it was a challenge to um, feel confident about it. I don't think I ever got there. So. Yeah, and it's crazy to hear that from you because again, as a fan of the show myself and as many of the listeners I'm sure were fans of the show, I'm sure no one at any point in time was questioning your ability to portray that role because whether you sympathize with the character, again, you talked about, you know, how she was lonely and just trying to like that's how she was getting attention. And you could totally understand that, but at the same time it's like a lot of people probably hated that character too, um, or had mixed feelings at least. What was kind of the reception like from the fans of the show when you were on the show? I feel like people weren't really watching the show when I was on the show. I feel like people didn't really pick up watching the show to like the fourth or fifth season when I was like basically not um, a series regular anymore. Um, hmm. But I, I got compliments from other actors, which was cool. And then I never really talked to fans of the show too much, uh, but um, I have gotten death threats on my Twitter account. Like there oh were- Oh my people- gosh, that is extreme. There was some guy who was like, F you, Mia, you're horrible, what you did to David Duchovny. And it's, I'm like, my name is not Mia. They were confusing the characters with the real people. And I was just like, wow, people are either just super unintelligent or they cannot distinguish between uh, a fictional character and, a, and an actor. Or It, it was just weird. Uh, they, they definitely, a lot of people really hated that, that character and... Um, did not, uh, I don't know. So I, I was, I was, I don't know that I, I had the best time playing. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, the reception was, was uh, people appreciated my work on the show. And sometimes I would get, man, you're so, you're so great. I really, I love to hate your character or, or they say, man, I just really hated that character. <laughs> and I would just be like, oh man, thanks. I guess like oh well and i think the thing first off the whole death threat thing is like the 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 whole context of that situation with him not like talking to you as you know you but as a character mia it kind of is like on the par of what you would expect with like a soap opera like a fan of a soap opera because they're with you know they see you every single day and then they get like super entranced with the you know the the character and it's so interesting that you would have that kind of an impact and obviously scary at the same time um but it's a weird role because i think as any actor who's played you know uh, a character that's meant to be disliked it's kind of a weird situation that you're put in as an actor because it's like if someone hates you then you're doing a good job, you know, because you're pl- you're portraying the role, right? Like they they actually don't like you, but it's hard to take that as a compliment. At the same time, it's like I hate you. You're like thanks. It's hard to kind of you know make that differentiation as well. It's 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 tough. It's tough because every every role is not meant to be likable. That's not what storytelling is. You have to if you're the villain, you have to play the villain, and it's your job to 
do that to the, your, the best of your ability. And I guess I had underestimated how how <laughs> unlikable I could be. <laughs> yeah, I get. Yeah, you, I mean, you did a phenomenal job. So Thanks. I mean, I still like the character, but I think it's because I actually understood some of the you know underlying nuances that were going on and what was kind of causing the actions of that you know character story and why she was doing what she was doing, but. Um, before we get to your recent work on painkillers and your new film, Warm Human Magic, I'd like to kind of do a rapid fire round if you're up for it. I love that. Yeah. Perfect. So who would you say is your favorite actress? Diane Keaton. Okay. Do, do I get to elaborate? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, screw it. We don't need it. It'll be a relatively rapid fire round. Okay. I just, I, I love her that she's eccentric and not too perfect in a way. She has yeah. this real... Um, I guess it's because I'm like this. I'm a little idiosyncratic in, in the way that I speak and the way that I express myself. So to see another actress like that, it, it, it kind of gives you permission to be um, a little uh, more raw. And mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. So I, I just love her. Definitely. Who would you say is your favorite director? Um, probably Stanley Kubrick. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, now I'm curious. What, what would be one of your favorite films by Stanley Kubrick? Uh, Barry Lyndon, by far. Really? Um, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a time where I was living in a small apartment in Hollywood, and I didn't have internet, um, and I, I didn't have television or anything. So I was watching things on my phone, and my friend had lent me Barry Lyndon, so it was all I had to watch for a few like weeks <laughs> and mm-hmm. I watched it over and over again. And because it's such a long movie, it's almost like a mini series to itself. Um, I, I really digested it going back to it. And there's so much dark humor in, in Kubrick's movies, or at least I find dark humor in, in his films and, yeah. uh, and he's a master. I mean, everybody uh, is inspired by him. So. Oh yeah. I mean, there's literally been documentaries solely picking apart his movies because of all the layers of genius that he throws into those. so I know, I know. And also his attention to detail, his perfectionism. I, I, I hope to aspire to be that detail-oriented and um, not, not like make people's lives difficult with it, but, but yeah. um, you know, to strive for that level of, of mastery. What, what would you say is the last TV show that you watched recently? It's funny because, like, yeah, the last thing I watched was actually Westworld. So I probably saw your friend on it. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, I love. I I I haven't watched all the second season yet. I just started, but I I saw the the first the first season. I think is just um, really brilliant. I I love the narrative loops and what that speaks to about the human condition and and our psychology. And um, uh, the acting on it is phenomenal. I got to see Lewis Hertham, who plays Abernathy on the show, at an audition. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, why does this guy even have to audition? He is so brilliant. I ran down the street after him just to tell him how fantastic of an actor I think he is and that I hope to work with him one day, that, I have, that I'm writing stuff and that I will give him a role because he's just so incredible. And uh, I, it was cool because he was also so receptive and, uh, you know, was appreciative of it. And um, uh, now we're now we follow each other on Twitter. 
So maybe we'll get to work together one day. And that's not even really a trivial thing. I mean, it can be that's I, I've had like uh, other friends that run podcasts and they get a lot of their guests through Twitter. Like it, it's a very big deal. So Oh, my God. I, I had I had Lena Dunham follow me back and I am um, I was I mean, it was pretty it was it made my month. No, no joke. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, moving on to your upcoming film, Painkillers, which recently premiered at the Brussels International Fantastic Film Festival. Uh, <laughs> the film tells the story of Surgeon John Clark, who after a terrible car crash in which his son dies, becomes prey to be to an unbearable physical pain. Shortly after, he finds out the only way to deal with this pain is to the taste of human blood. Uh, in the film, you play the character Chloe Clark. What can you tell the audience about your character? Um, well... Chloe is John's uh, wife, and um, she was a nurse herself um, and is a grieving mother. I mean, so I, I, I had many layers of, of crying and <laughs> sorrow to dig into for the role. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did actually two movies pretty close back to back last year. One was The Chain, where I played the the wife of uh, uh, John Patrick Amadori, who played a doctor. And then the, the next one right after that was another wife of a doctor. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> interesting. How quickly I got typecast, like immediately. <laughs> no, hey, just... you know what? I would love to be typecast in that. There's a lot of roles like that out there on TV. Very true. Very true. Uh, what was it like being on set for the film? I mean, the, it's, it's definitely a dark film. So I'm curious as to how, like, how that was on set dealing with the subject matter. I mean, it was very heavy, and um, Adam Huss, who played John Clark and my husband in it, he was uh, having to do a tremendous amount of physical, uh, exhaustive work to um, to do the to make the role work, and it was it was heavy. I mean, our, even our director Roxy, she was sobbing at one point, where you know we we were all kind of sharing in the uh, darkness of the, of the material together. And uh, uh, I think when it was over, I still haven't, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. I don't know how it all uh, has come together, but when it was all over, I think we were like, Woo, next next thing, hopefully we get to do a comedy because that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, I need a breather after this, definitely. So lastly, I, I want to talk about your upcoming short film, Warm Human Magic. The film is an anti-romantic comedy about a girl's desperate attempt for human connection and her inability to extricate herself from technology that keeps her isolated. Uh, now, you wrote and directed this film. What made you decide to get into writing and directing? Um, creative frustration. <laughs> I, okay. think I think that's um, what most actors, if they're honest about it, will tell you that they want to write the roles uh, that they would like to play themselves. Um, and mm -hmm. initially I was going to play the role myself, um, but then chose to honor the, the, the craft of directing and acting um, and not try to take on too much for my first time out. Um, yeah, but yeah, I just wanted to make something I was tired of, like I said before, actors don't have much control over their career or anything. So, uh, I was tired of waiting for somebody to give me a job and I just, um, I started making little strides as far as potentially getting it into production. The, the script that I had written, I'd written the script like back in 2014 
So um, I I just wanted to make something. I wanted to be on the set because it makes me so happy. Yeah, you know, and I really kind of wanted to know what inspired the story behind this because it's such a relatable story, I think, Thank mainly. You. That's what I got at least. Good, yeah. I mean, I've had many nights like this in my life it's like my whole my whole 20s was being drunk or some form of messed up and not realizing why I couldn't connect with anyone when I was like you know uh not present to the person in front of me and that that was uh something I didn't really learn how to get good at until when I was in my later 20s I wasn't able to show up uh uh, for the for the people I loved as much, and um, now I've I finally figured that out. I I I think when I was younger, I was always expecting people to just reach out to me and call me up mm-hmm. and be like, "Let's go get a coffee," um, or whatever. But I I started to reach out to people and actually give my friendships and my uh, relationships more attention, and then I realized, oh. That's the secret. You have to <laughs> yeah. give love to people in order to get any love. Well, and I think what your film also touches on is how that's advanced to even a bigger problem now with yeah. all the social media. Um, yeah. So, and I think that's partly why it's so relatable too. I think there's always going to be those friends that kind of, in a way, not knowingly isolate themselves. But I mean, yeah, I can't tell you how many times when I was living in Vancouver, I mean, we'd go, we were living downtown, so we'd go out all the time and we'd be at the bar or even at like, you know, a restaurant or something where you should be talking and everyone's on their phone. I know. Like it's such a odd concept. And I remember I took a week off of social media and just like really kind of just detox, you know, if you will, from the whole social media game. And all my friends thought I was like the weirdest person ever. And not even just my friends, but just people. I'd go to a coffee shop and people would look at me incredibly awkwardly because they're like, why are you looking at me? I'm like, I'm just looking around instead of at my phone. But the fact that I'm not looking at my phone makes me like a, a threat, which is so odd to me. It's a bizarre time we live in when being present and having your eyes open and awake is an act of courage or a revolutionary act. But (laughs) it's also something that we really need to, I I think, although my film, some people might say that the stakes aren't that high or whatever. I actually think that the stakes are very high because it's almost like a cautionary tale, although it's not, you know, life or death. It's our, our, these devices are built to, be completely controlling our lives and they do they run every I mean if I didn't have a timer set I don't know if I would have gotten on the call and you know like everything is controlled by the phones and they're built and designed in a way that is incredibly addictive to us and they and even Apple has has uh, admitted this and these are things that are just going right under the radar in, in so much political turmoil and everything else that's going on, the, these things that are affecting our humanity and, and, and robbing us of our uh, ability to connect with each other, those things are just getting brushed aside as not real threats, but they are real threats. They're real threats to oh, yeah. all of our relationships and to our lives. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I see on their phones when they're driving their car. I mean, it's the same God, thing. Yeah. And it's not even talking anymore. Now it's just like literally looking at their phone like, what is, oh my God. Yeah, that, that freaks me out. No, to sometimes you, yeah, sometimes you have to take a phone call in the car. And if you have the hands-free thing, it's all good. 
but people are on Snapchat and they're fucking doing an Instagram story on their phone while they're driving and also trying to do it again because they didn't look good in that angle. And, and the oh level of um, vanity and um, self-involvement is, is, is creating a lot of suffering. There is, um, there is, there is suffering in self-importance. And uh, that, that is something that, I hope to highlight a little bit. Well, and I think, you know, and again, you mentioned that it's not life or death, but again, it is very much a cautionary tale because, you know, the events without spoiling anything, you know, in the film, it's like how that plays a part in this film and more particularly in this character's life will have an even bigger effect down the road if changes aren't made, which I feel like is anyone that's, you know, got that addiction to social media. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, just just not not being there for somebody who showed up for you. You know, that, exactly. that was something that again I did a lot when I was younger, and I've I've been happy to say that I've grown out of it to a certain extent, and that I I um, I like to give love because that that love comes comes right back, and um, uh, the the whole concept of warm human magic being like basically another word for love and just that connection that we all feel like we need, but we don't know how to get. And I feel like, you know, I don't know if we're around the same age, but um, uh, I'm in, I'm in my thirties early thirties. And I, I feel like I might be the last generation who knows how to connect without an electronic device. I know how to start a conversation with a stranger and how to um, communicate and I feel it's like dying. Yeah. It's a dying trait. It's, it's scary. It's really scary. So, um, I, uh, yeah, that's something that I think is, uh, timely and relatable. Well, and the casting of this, I think also helps to sell this message that your, you know, your story is conveying because I, you know, I, I want to get to your sister who's also in the film, but also someone, someone that actually kind of surprised me. Uh, and I was on the fence initially when I saw him in the film, but then like, you know, as the film progressed, I'm like, wow, this is such an amazing character, which is the guy who plays uh, Ben, which yeah. is uh Chasen Bauer. Like he does such a good job at kind of being that, that reminder of, Hey, pay attention. Like, look up. Yeah. Chasen, Chasen actually came to me uh, through Yvonne. Yvonne and Chasen worked in a, a short film that their friend Jack directed. Um, I think it was a student film for USC. And okay. Chasen, um, Chasen read the role. Like, we did a table read, and it was just sort of to hear the words out loud. And once Chasen read it, I was like, no one else could have the role. He, he, he got it on so many levels and captured these subtleties that, and, and vulnerabilities that I wanted that character to have. And, yes. uh, and they were perfect together. They had such good chemistry that I was like, oh, wow, that's really exciting. I feel like he's like a young Ryan Gosling. I think Chasen is such a fantastic actor. And, I could um, definitely has, see that. He has this intensity that uh, not a lot of actors have, like this combination of intensity with vulnerability. You know, you can see him getting really impassioned about something, but you, you can also see him just like weeping and openly, you know, and, and that's very mm-hmm. rare to find. And um, I was also so happy to work with my little sister because she's an incredible actress, but also I have obviously a, a shorthand with her and can, can get her to a place in a performance 
pretty quickly just by using some big sister, older, older sister <laughs> buttons to push. So, yeah. Um, and they're just fabulous together. I, 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 I think that so much of things that I see on television and film, a lot of places that it goes wrong is just casting. And I feel like if you don't cast the right people or you don't cast based on actual skill level, which I see a lot of people get cast because they're big mm -hmm. names and they've never actually had to prove themselves and they're not actually good. Um, and I, I, I personally want to, I want to change that. Like just even on a smaller level, I want people who are right for the role who do the best job to get, to get the job. I, I'm very egalitarian in that way. I feel like things should be very, fair and equal, you know. Well, and, you know, touching on your sister, you know, Yvonne, I mean, like, she really is the star of the show. Again, we talked about Ben because it needed to be said because he's such a great actor. But at the same time, the person who's really driving the heart of this is your little sister. And she does mm -hmm. such a phenomenal job. I mean, there's so many various emotions that's going on throughout this film in such a short amount of time, again, with it being a short film, that it really is just like you get very lost in the picture. Thank you. Yeah, I... um I'm so proud of her, but I knew she could do it. I knew that there was, there was no doubt in my mind uh, because I've, I've worked on every audition. Every audition that we have, we work on it with each other. So we know what each other's yeah. skill set is. And um, although, you know, uh, we, we aren't on shows right now, um, I, I think Yvonne is just one of the best young actresses out there. And, and um, it was so fun to get, to give her a vehicle to shine in because she really does shine in the role. And she also finds subtleties and um, nuances that other actresses would completely miss. So. Yeah. Well, and you're both so incredibly talented, so that definitely helps. Um, you know, and that speaking of which, you know, this is again, as we touched on your first time, you know, directing, were there any challenges that you faced in doing that? Cause to be fair, the film looks, like it's got great production value. The shot choices were phenomenal. Like it does not look like a first timers film. Thank you. Um, uh, the, the challenges were just that we had no money and no time, <laughs> you know, like all independent <laughs> filmmaking. Um, yeah. We filmed it in two days and I only spent a couple thousand dollars on the whole thing. So um, literally everybody worked for free and, when you do those things, you have to just uh, be, you have to be positive. You have to be a positive force. And I had worked with some fabulous female directors like my friend Maureen Barucha, who is so positive on set and such a great leader that way. Um, and just trying to keep that um, enthusiasm as, as a driving force of the set, because the amount of things that you're thinking about as a director and where your mind is at and, and how much you have left to do of the day, your shot list, um, uh, daylight, all these different, all these different things are running through your head and it's exhausting. Yeah. After the first day on, on set being a director, I think I slept harder than I've ever, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, it was a satisfying exhausting, exhaust, exhaustion, but, um, I was so tired because my brain and, and my energy and I was running around, I, I was just, I didn't realize how much of myself I was going to be using. And, uh, it was a different level of, uh, energetic, uh, ex expenditure. Is that the right word? Um, yeah. Was, yeah. So I, I, I was just, 
I was very tired by the end of it, but I was also so <laughs> satisfied because I got to make something that was really mine and uh, have more creative control and tell a story that I wanted to tell. Definitely. Yeah. You know, and on a, a wonderful side note, some exciting news is that Warm Human Magic will be premiering at the Dances with Films uh, Festival or Dance with Films Festival June 14th. Yes. So that's where everyone's gonna be able to see it for the first time. Is that a really great festival? It really is. And we just got acceptance into the Madrid International Film Festival as well. So Oh, wow. That's terrific. It's so exciting. I'm like, ah, we got into two festivals. Yay. I'm sure it's the first two of many, realistically. I, I, thank you. I hope so. Um, yeah, it's going to have its premiere at the Chinese Theater on uh, June 14th at 5 p.m. Uh, it's a Thursday, which is kind of tough for some people to make, but not people in Los Angeles because nobody has real jobs here. So um, <laughs> uh, They'll make time. People, people do have <laughs> real jobs. I, I do know some people who are lawyers and teachers who will not be able to make it, but um, still. <laughs> Um, well, where are my film peeps at? You know, the film people, come on. Exactly. The film peeps will be there. So that's, that's great. And I, I, I'm just so, I'm thrilled to see it up on a, a really, real big screen. It's crazy. Oh, oh yeah. It's going to be wild. Well, thanks so much to Madeline Zima for joining me on the show today. Again, you can catch Warm Human Magic, as we just talked about here at the Dances with Films Festival next week on June 14th at 5 p.m. at the Chinese Theater as well as her upcoming thriller, Painkillers, I'm assuming later this year? Probably, yeah, that sounds right. Well, seriously, thanks again, Madeline, for being on the show today. Thank you, Zach. It was really nice to get to talk to you. Well, that's the end of episode 22 of the Film Revere podcast. Please show your support for the FR podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you happen to listen to the show. Be sure to follow the company's social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Revered Network to get all updates first. Another great way to show your support is by getting a free audiobook and 30-day free trial from Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Lastly, my guest for next week will be Grammy Award-winning composer Matteo Messina. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Film Revere Podcast. Have a great week. <laughs>